1: Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Doctor's Program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. When we talk about public education, and we make no apology for defining it every week because it needs definition, we talk about education which is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It's available to all children all teachers, all workers, all parents, and there should be no fees and no requirements of any sort to enter a school to obtain an education. Our public schools should be publicly owned and controlled and they should be the only ones that are publicly funded because they're the only ones that can be publicly accountable. Anything else leads to misuse of public funds and corruption. And our governments should provide a first-rate public education for every child in this country, if it is a democracy. There is a question, of course, as to whether or not they are doing this and whether or not we are still a democracy as a result. Now, we have a website at www.adogs.info and we're up to press release 635 but we've got two press releases this week because although it's the Christmas season in fact there's all sorts of things happening because people are on the internet and the government's not getting away with anything uh, particularly as far as public school parents are concerned and uh, the resources for our public schools. Press release 635 reads as follows, take over the private schools and make them public and save public money. The time has come to take over private taxpayer-dependent schools and make them into public schools. The public pay for them. They should be able to use them. State aid to private systems of education, whether they be religious hierarchies, corporate raiders or individual profiteers, always is, always has been and always will be uneconomic, cost too much, inefficient, it leads to ridiculous duplication of resources. Socially and politically divisive, it leads to disadvantage and plutocracy, and corrupt, it leads to lack of accountability for the expenditure of public money. Our own Australian history should have taught us this lesson, but this generation and our children are unfortunately being forced by governments in the thrall of powerful lobbyists to learn the lesson once again. But the economic arguments of the private and corporate interests are gradually being turned on their head. Leaving aside the billions provided annually to private education in the form of taxation expenditures, otherwise known as taxation exemptions, the direct public funding of many Catholic schools in particular is now running at more than 90%. And if you count in all the extras, it's probably more than 100%. This system, at least, should be taken over. Chris Bonner and Bernie Shepherd, in their monograph entitled Private School Public Cost, have crunched some very revealing figures from the MySchool website and other resources. And their figures are already out of date because they're 2013 figures. They are discovering that because the dependent schools are costing the taxpayer ever greater amounts, it's becoming more and more a realistic economic proposition to actually take them over and make them into a public system. Now, here's an excerpt from their monograph. What about the savings? With governments already providing non-government schools with between 83% and 94% of the recurrent funds they give to their own schools, it's apparent that the savings, or alternatively the costs of taking these students into the public system, are not going to represent the huge fiscal suicide or financial tsunami that the commentators quoted are predicting. A realistic way to calculate claim savings is not to use gross averages, but to examine the cost differences incrementally across the advantage range, comparing the costs involved with students at similar levels of advantage. To do otherwise is to assume that the average relatively advantaged private school student would and should attract the same recurrent funding as the average relatively disadvantaged public school student. It's a fundamentally flawed approach, but of course, uh, listeners, it's been the approach that's been taken by the private schools and their their, uh, politicians who have private schools in their DNA for the last 40, 50 years. And yet, this has been the basis for many of the wilder claims in the area of the school funding debate. An incremental calculation would look like the one that they have given that Robert will tell you more about shortly. Using 2013 data and dividing the nation's schools into 10 groupings on the basis of advantage, Bonner and Shepherd calculate that the total difference between the government recurrent grants to private schools and the recurrent funding of equivalent government schools, um, the difference is around... 2.2 2.2 billion, or just 5.7% of the 38.9 billion total of government spending reported on the MySchool for 2013, so it's becoming more and more uh, viable to actually educate these children in government schools, in public schools. Now, if the size of the figure is a surprise to some then a further surprise might be found in the fact that the difference has actually been getting smaller year by year. So it's becoming economically a possibility uh, that these children should be educated in a public school and it's becoming more and more uh, obvious that it would be better not to have huge private systems being hugely publicly funded funded and duplicating public school facilities. Now, you can go to this monograph, and we've given you the the address uh, on the internet uh, if you want to read it further. But uh, Robert will also be referring perhaps uh, to more facts and figures on this line a bit later. Now, there's another press release. But before we have a press release, we want to tell you that this year is the year of Happy Birthday for 3CR. And we're going to give you lots and lots of versions of Happy Birthday in the coming weeks and today. But we'll start off today with one Happy Birthday and see if you can guess uh, as you're listening to it, this is Happy Birthday in the style of. See who you think it is in the style of. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been listening to Happy Birthday to 3CR in the style of, did you guess it, Handel. Uh, that was easy because we've played quite a bit of Handel on this program. We rather like Handel. Uh, and that was in the style of Hallelujah uh, by Handel. Now, we have another uh, press release uh, on our website. And this one is press release 636. Um, and it is... Privatisation of education is an expensive, corrupting failure. The privatisation of the TAFE sector has proved an abject exercise in the failure of corporatisation of education. Private profiteering providers can fail, they can lose a lot of public money and they can leave students in the lurch. Accountability? Go to the law or forget it. And even if you go to the law, in many ways you can forget it because in corporation law you've set up corporates or corporations in order to protect individual directors and even shareholders. But of course the shareholders can get a bit restive. The investors get restive when a company goes belly up and the directors walk away with the millions. And that's happened But the Labor and the Liberal governments have both believed the false rhetoric of the corporate sector and insisted on throwing good taxpayer money after bad. And it turns out at least one Labor politician has been involved. And I'm informed that if you go to uh, Google and you look at Dimitriou, who is um, an AFL uh, boff or important man, and you put in Dimitriou and education, you'll find some interesting material too. But this is what we found out this week. There's some evidence that politicians themselves have profiteered in privatisation at the expense of the public sector. The millions, for example, made by Kevin Rudd's wife from the privatisation of the employment industry in the 1990s is a case in point. But the recent collapse of the private TAFE provider vacation has turned up some interesting tidbits. The possibility of legal action, not only against vacation itself, which has no money, of course, it's gone bankrupt, but of its directors has revealed the following facts. And I'm quoting here from an article entitled, Vocation Directors in the Line of Legal Fire, which you will find in the Australian Business Review of January 2 to 3 in 2016. That is just last week on page 21. And this is what I read. The collapse of vocation, once worth more than 770 million, left more than 12,000 students across Australia in the lurch. The downfall of the company, previously chaired by the former Labor Treasurer John Dawkins, exposed a growing problem in private education. John Dawkins, for those of the listeners who weren't around in, in the 1980s and 90s, was the son of the Western Australian Squatocracy and he was in the Labour Party, the 1980s Labour Party uh, cabinet. He was responsible as Minister for Education for undermining of free tertiary education and he was part and parcel of the introduction of the HECS scheme in the 1980s. Uh, And those of you who are still paying off, and I think that would be many, many people who were born after 1970 at least, uh, and probably 1965, uh, you would be paying off your tertiary education debt, and you can thank John Dawkins and the Hawke and the Keating governments. But um, what did he do? He went into the private sector and thought he'd make a killing in the TAFE sector, and here he's turned up. But it might be poetic justice if he is now held personally responsible as a director, as a founding director, for the collapse of his corporate education brainchild. Meanwhile, the best that the current governments can do is throw more good taxpayer money after bad, recruiting executives. And you'll find that up in New South Wales, they are employing executives to fix up the mess on million-dollar Uh, pay packages. But uh, let's have another uh, happy birthday 3CR in the style of and see once again if you can guess in the style of
2: Thank you very much, Jean. Thank you very much, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, and happy birthday to 3CR. Because 3CR has been here a very, very long time, almost forty years. Yes, middle-aged activism—that's really good. Thank you very much, 3CR, <laughs> for giving us the opportunity to have our program. Because we are the dogs; we are the defenders of government schools. Yes, we're we're not-
1: getting <laughs> a bit middle-aged ourselves, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we we're, we're, uh, we should be happy birthdaying too.
2: Yes, you've been listening to us defending government schools. you also listening to the keyboard stylings of Alan Knott, uh, a very talented fellow, and thanks very much to him because he's decided that Happy Birthday is a, a song for all the ages. So we've had some George Frederick Handel giving us a happy birthday. Us, by the way, Us is 3CR, 3 Community Radio. And then, of course, uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, wishing us happy birthday as well. Well, Alan
1: Knott is a uh, (laughs) uh, middle-aged state school boy uh, from uh, University High, I believe, and he's had a stellar career in many many areas. Uh, One of the best musicians in Melbourne, I think, but um, he's also uh, very, very knowledgeable in scientific and uh, electronic matters.
2: Yes, indeed. Certainly got got handy handy fingers on his keyboard there. Um, look, we've been having some fun with happy birthdays, but um, I want to here discuss something that we often talk about um, on the dogs program, which is, uh, how can I say, Gene has actually a, a penchant for talking about taxation system in Australia. And there's been some interesting movements on taxation. Um, there have been... Over the last 12 months or so, finally, a realisation in the general population that a large number of people who are extremely wealthy are not paying their fair share of tax and there's a large, la- much much larger number of people who are paying too much tax and perhaps Australia could be better off if we seriously investigated our taxation system mm. such that the, the 1% is, as we say as opposed to the 99%. Pay their tax. Now, when I say pay their tax, what's that got to do with defending government education? What's that got to do with defending government schools? It's very simple. A large number of very wealthy people um, are not paying their fair share of tax because the way they involve themselves in the private schooling system um, is actually quite shocking. And the Australian Taxation Office have just taken up the cudgels, I suppose, and had an investigation of this, a detailed investigation, but I think it's worth putting to air because what's happening is the private school system, who of course um, like to pride themselves on enrolling the 1%'s children in their schools, and rather as opposed to anyone else's, um, are reaping the benefits, as are the parents' involved. As I say, it's a detailed investigation, and I think we'll hand it over to our made up investigative reporter on the spot, um, <laughs> who's using resources from the Save Our School website uh, run by Trevor Cobold, um, an ex um, member of the Productivity Commission, who's put together this information. And I think it's worth sharing here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. So, uh, our part time ring in investigative journalist, <laughs> Dale, what can you tell us?
0: Thanks, Rob. I've got an article here from Trevor Trevor Kobold entitled Wealthy Private School Parents Evading Taxes. One of the arguments used by the wealthy to justify government subsidisation of their fees at elite private schools is that they pay taxes and they and they they should receive government funding for whatever school their child attends. Apart from being a spurious argument, it appears that many of the wealthy are not paying taxes anyway. Last month, the Australian Taxation Office announced that it had contacted more than 100 Australian parents with children at 60 elite private schools who had paid school fees of $100,000 a year from overseas bank accounts. The ATO ob- obtained information from the schools and matched it against the parents' tax returns. It's part of the ATO's crackdown on tax evasion by wealthy individuals with hidden income and assets offshore. We've checked this information against t- income tax returns and will follow up discrepancies with about 100 parents who may have failed to declare their offshore interests, said the ATO Deputy Commissioner, Michael Cranston. We'll be asking them to provide documents and attend interviews to answer questions about their arrangements. There's nothing wrong with having an offshore account, but you need to pay tax on the interest or earnings. The ATO Assistant Commissioner Jeff McAllister told The Australian that the school tuition payments involved significant payments in private school fees to a significant number of elite private schools that would include some of the best schools around Australia. Fees may have been dressed up as trust expenses as funds channelled money back to Australia from offshore accounts. Some ways of getting this money back is a payment of... Expenses and school, fee, school fees are one way to, of doing that, Mr McAllister said. The ATO is concerned that the offshore accounts that are being used to pay the private school fees may be concealing much larger amounts of money, amounting to millions of dollars. The ATO has a list of 5,000 client names obtained from wealth management firms and a list of 100 advisors and promoters who had a direct link with people who may have evaded taxes. The net is closing for people who think they can avoid their Australian tax obligations by holding money and assets offshore, Mr Cranston said. According to the Australian Financial Review, the ATO asked Swiss tax authorities last year to provide the records of up to 120 wealthy wealthy people with undeclared offshore bank accounts after receiving information from an informant. At least one person admitted to $30 million in income and $120 million in assets held in Liechtenstein and Switzerland. Another admitted to $80 million in assets and $20 million in income from overseas. More than 30 people concealed that they had more than a $1 million in overseas income, and five people came forward with $10 million in hidden income. A tax amnesty by the ATO last year to encourage disclosure of offshore income resulted in more than 5,800 Australians disclosing $5.4 billion in assets and $600 million in income held overseas. It resulted in $240 million in additional tax liabilities. But apart from salting away money in overseas tax havens, the wealthy in Australia have many ways of avoiding paying their share of taxes. Three key tax shelters are capital gains and negative gearing, superannuation and private trusts and companies. While many of the wealthy avoid paying or reduce their taxes, the federal and state governments continue to subsidise their school fees by several thousand dollars per student. My, the My School website shows that there will be 75 private schools in Australia with average school fees of over $19,000 a year in 2013, including 16 with fees around $25,000 to $30,000. These schools are obviously bastions of the wealthy. Over 75% of the students in these schools were from the top SES quartile, and only 1% was from the bottom quartile nearly 85% of students at the 16 highest-fee schools were from the top SES quartile. The average subsidy from the federal and state governments for these 75 elite schools was $4,250 per student. Over one quarter, 20 of these schools received subsidies of $5,000 to $7,000 per student. The average subsidy for students in the 16 highest-fee schools was $3,400 per student. One of these schools, the King's Schools, received nearly $5,000 per student.
2: From the government. From
0: your tax dollars, my tax dollars. The total government subsidy for the 75 schools was $390 million in 2013. The 16 highest fee schools received $71 million from the taxpayer. Several schools received over ten million dollars. Haileybury College seventeen point nine million, Caulfield Grammar thirteen point six million
2: per annum, <laughs> every we- year.
0: Wesley College eleven million, Trinity Grammar ten point four million every year.
2: Now every I know more money. Yeah. Now
1: I know why Haileybury can spend fifty two million on a NAB building in King Street and open a school next year. Haven't heard. Um, they must have got it through the, the city council. I've never just heard about it. It's
0: shocking. Um, yeah. Government funding com- compounds a tremendous resource advantage over public schools. Their average recurrent income per student in 2013 was over double that of public schools, 28518 compared to $12,576. The average income of the 16 highest fee schools was 31951 per student. The 75 schools would still have... Double the funding of public schools, even without any government funding.
2: Well, that's the point, I think. Take away the government funding. They're still doing well. So take away the government funding.
0: (laughs) It's it's unnecessary. Uh, Funding elite private schools is a complete waste of taxpayer funds. Yes, It does not produce any better school results public schools with a similar, similar high socioeconomic student profile do just as well as elite Catholic and independent schools and substantially better in many states with less than half the funding of the elite schools. The extra resources provided by governments is wasted on gold-plating facilities, lavish marketing budgets to hire boutique public relations firms to promote their school and scholarships to cream off high-achieving students from other schools. Government funding of elite private schools diverts scarce funds from serving those with high learning needs to those with few needs. The nearly $400 million in government funding for elite private schools would be far better used to support highly disadvantaged schools where a large proportion of students do not achieve national standards in literacy and numeracy. Even if the wealthy all paid their fair share in taxes, there is no case that they are thereby entitled to government funding to support their children in private schools. All citizens pay taxes to fund basic community services such as public transport, police, paramedics, fire brigades, libraries, garbage removal, street repairs and public education regardless of whether or not they use these services. Governments do not subsidise families if they choose not to use taxis instead of public transport or buy their own books instead of using the public library, use private security arrangements to protect their home instead of police services or use private recreation and leisure facilities such as their backyard pool instead of the municipal pool. The purpose of taxation is to provide services of benefit to society people who do not avail themselves of publicly provided services are not entitled to claim a certain proportion of taxation revenue to fund their own private choices. This is not to say that there is no case for governments to fund private schools. For example, there's a good case for governments to fund under-resourced private schools and to fund disadvantaged students in private schools. Well, we disagree with the Mm. same there To the same extent as those in public schools, but there is simply no case for governments to fund wealthy private schools on the principle that their families pay tax. However unlikely it is that they actually pay their fair share. In the first place.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, um, you've laid out a, a series of arguments there, and I, I think it's well laid out by, by Trevor Carver. Mm. Of course, here at the Dogs, we don't think any money should go to any private schools, no. because the one and simple argument that these wealthy private schools make, and indeed the parents that send their children to these wealthy private schools... is would be that if you give money to the poor private school, it is unfair for you not to give it to the wealthy private school. It's just a very, very simple process. Um, the arguments he used there about public transport and public security, I mean, these are these are very old arguments. But at the head of what he's investigated is, I think, something much more serious. To give large amounts of taxpayers' money to obviously, definably wealthy private schools, and then the people who are doing that are evading tax as part of the process. This is just bloody stupid. It's idiotic.
1: It all To starts- look at it
2: from the outside, to look at it from the inside, in any way you look at it, it's just stupid. So why does Australia do this? I actually have a, a, a suggestion as a reason to this. I think Australians do education funding the same way Americans do gun laws. <laughs> It's really, really simple. If you look at the America's gun laws well, from sure. from the outside, you go, what? What are you, what are you, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure, surely um, it should be reasonable to ask someone if they're a violent criminal before they can uh, purchase a firearm to go out and commit a violent crime. Mm-hmm. But no, in America, that's not that's not, that's not allowed because they're quite, from the outside, quite crazy gun laws. Um, here in Australia, you look from the outside and you go, how come you're giving... All of these – well, actually, I'm about to tell you that in total, it's $3 billion per annum to private schools in overfunding. Not in funding. This is just in overfunding. And extra – why would you do that? Now, the arguments are becoming more and more tenuous and more and more, how can I say, um, crazy. Because you have to come up with crazy arguments to justify crazy actions. In America, it's gun laws, and here in Australia, um, it's the way we fund our education system.
3: If you
1: break basic principles, then this is where you end up, in crazy land. Uh, The basic principle was broken in the 1960s when they gave state aid, that is taxpayers' money, to private schools in the first place, and it was to get the Catholic vote. Um, and uh, it was uh, given also to the to the wealthy schools, which tended to be Protestant schools, because they didn 't want to have sectarian problems okay. and You will find that a large number of people will say weren 't we just so wonderful? we got rid of the sectarian divide?" The problem is of course we 've now got many 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 divides. Oh, cool. you name it, uh, you name the craziest religious belief that you could possibly." find, and we are funding that kind of school. Hmm. Uh, The Scientologies, the... uh the Christadelphians, you, you name it. Sclusive uh, they Brethren. They're
2: all, all government-funded schools. Yeah.
1: Hell, I think the yeah. Catholic's crazy enough.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Um, the listening? one thing you
1: have to say about the Catholic Church is they are not crazy. They have never changed. They have always believed that they should be the uh, one-state church, uh, the establishment, and uh, they made it. They made it when they got... Um, Mr Abbott in, and they're not very happy at the moment because Mr Abbott and his um, crew are out. However, Turnbull's on the edges. They can't be too too unhappy. Um, The new establishment is riding high, and uh, it's time that the establishment was called for what it is, unfair, uh, 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 hierarchical, and also um, authoritarian, And in fact, we are now finding out that it is not only corrupt, it is utterly immoral. Mm. But um, uh, the dogs have always said this. And it's because back in the 1960s, a very basic principle of separation of religion in the state was uh, broken. Mm. And, Mm, And now we have a broken education system.
2: Yes, indeed. If you don't have separation of religion from the state in a country, which we do not here in Australia, we just don't, um, all sorts of crazy stuff happens. And I think Dale um, has just outlined in great detail one particularly crazy situation.
1: But the one bright light is that we still have a terrific public education system hmm. and uh, wonderful things are happening there. And we have to look after it, we have to defend it, and we have to keep it,
2: and keep it well-resourced. It needs to to be fought for, which is exactly what we do here on the DOGS program, Defending Government Schools on 3 CO 855 on the AM dial and the WWWs and Indeed podcast. And we'll be back with some more in detailed investigations about exactly what's going on with funding of education here in Australia. After a little bit more music, I think um, we'll move forward in time because Dave Brubrek uh, uh, of Take Five Fan also wishes uh, 3CR a very, very happy 40th birthday. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, I mentioned just before that little uh, interlude there, and happy birthday again to 3CR, 40 40 years young, um, uh, by Dave Brubeck. um, Again, performed by Alan Knott, clever fellow that he is. Um, I mentioned before that in Australia we are overfunding, not just funding, we are overfunding private schools to the tune of about $3 billion per annum, $3 billion per year. Now $3 billion is a lot of money and um, various federal, federal and state politicians I'm sure wouldn't mind being able to claw that back. Because if you put $3 billion back into the federal and state treasuries, I'm sure they'd be very happy to spend it on all sorts of fun things to make people vote them in again. But this $3 billion of overfunding, and I'll come back to why it's overfunding in a minute, um, is basically politically untouchable here in Australia. Again, I would say, for crazy reasons. You look at it from the outside and you say, well, why don't you take that $3 billion and spend it effectively? Make that $3 billion accountable and effective and indeed perhaps even efficient, but they don't do it. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why, but let's, f- let's find out where I get this $3 billion figure from. Again, with research done by Trevor Cobalt, who says the well-off private schools are overfunded by this amount every year. He says, in general, there is no case for government funds going to private schools at a level beyond what they are prepared to fund public schools. I'll say that again. There's no case, according to Trevor Cobold, to fund private schools to a level beyond what they are prepared to fund public schools. Now, here at the Dogs, we don't agree with this. We don't think that any public funds should go to any private educational institutions. If a parent wishes to take their child out of the public system and educate them privately at home or in some religious school or in just some private school that they happen to want to do, they are perfectly within their rights to do so. Here at the Dogs, we don't think that's a bad idea. You go for your life. Unless, of course, the school um, teaches things which are inappropriate in terms of the rule of law, um, people should be able to send their children to private schools and pay for that privilege themselves. I myself am not willing to um, subsidise that, but at the moment I am, which is what we're fighting here as part of the Dogs Programme. But Trevor Cable's perspective is, let's just look at the money that is beyond the level that they are prepared to fund public schools, which is what Trevor Cable's talking about. He says government funding enables 1,400 different schools, all of them private schools, to have more resources than public schools. Very, very simple sort of calculation there. I mean, he doesn't go as far as we do, but he's just looking at the waste. The government is prepared to put a certain amount of money into a public school. How much money should they put into the private school? Well, Trevor Cable thinks they should put no more. He says this amount of money, which is more than the government is willing to put into public schools, is about $3 billion a year. And he said that would be far better spent supporting disadvantaged public schools. He also says disadvantaged private schools, but um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I
1: haven't that. seen too many of them around, actually.
2: Indeed, indeed. And, we, and when we dig into the detail, we find out that yeah, there aren't too many of them around. <laughs> oh,
1: no, they're mythical. A mythical beast. Mm. Always was, still is. <laughs> but um, the Catholic Education Office are starting to realise that they, they, they're, they're not on a winner there.
2: Well, the problem is, of course, that the private school system is now heavily involved in the process of marketing their yes. product very, very aggressively. And part of their marketing strategy is definitely not saying that they're, that they're under-resourced, poor, poorly performing schools because, of course, you don't get people enrolling in those because the Catholic education and independent schools of Australia are very happy with the idea of education in Australia being a jungle, where parents have to f- crawl over each other's dead and decaying bodies to get their child to the best school possible. Anyway, to continue with this article, Trevor Cable says there are two aspects to the government overfunding of private schools. The first is that privately sourced income from fees and donations of wealthy private schools exceeds the total income per student in public schools. Yes, that's true. Government funding of these schools extends their resource advantage. Yes, it does. It's how you build a class system. You you subsidise it in terms of the government. You make wealthy schools over-resourced and you make public schools under-resourced. The second aspect of overfunding of private schools, according to Trevor Kobold, is there are many private schools whose income from private sources is less than the total income per student in public schools, but whose government funding is more than that which will provide them with the same average total income per student as public schools. The extra government funding also gives these schools a resource advantage over public schools. So what he's saying is there are the poor, inverted commas, private schools, who charge fees which are not um, an equivalent of what the government would give a child in a, in a public school. The government gives their money, but they're giving them, giving them so much money that it adds up to a higher total. Now, he says, The My School website shows that there are 217 wealthy private schools in metropolitan and provincial areas in Australia whose income from fees and private donations alone exceeds the average income per student in public schools. These schools, these ones, receive $1.02 billion in funding from the Federal and State and Territory Governments in 2013 um, and $746 million from the Federal Government and $270 million from State and Territory Governments. Now, these schools have a high proportion of students from the most advantaged families in Australia. Their average score on the ICSIA um, is around about 1,162, as opposed to an average of 1,000, which is compared to the average, of course, for public schools, which is 1,000. The government funding of these schools compounds their resource advantage. If their government funding were terminated, these schools would still have more money to educate their kids than the average government school. Now the average government funding per student in these with wealthy schools was around about five thousand bit bit more in twenty thirteen. It enables them to double the total income for the average public school, and their average income per student was around about twenty five and a half thousand dollars compared to about twelve and a half thousand dollars for public schools. This is the difference, it almost doubles of what he says, a bit over thirteen thousand per year per student. Now, in addition to these schools, these elite ones, which the Stahl was telling us about, who have parents who are very happy to use tax lurks to not pay tax on the money in the first place, which then negates their argument that I should have money for my student because I pay taxes when you don't pay them. Um, In addition to these schools, there are another 1,186 schools whose private income from fees and donations is below the average income per student for a public school. So it's below... $12,500, Twelve and a half thousand dollars, but whose government funding provides them with a higher average income than the public school next door? The excess funding amounts to a roundabout get this, one point eight billion dollars every year. That's one point three three billion from the federal and about four hundred and seventy six million from state and teri- territory governments. Now this was in twenty thirteen, the first act of the Andrew State Labor Government was to increase the amount of government money going to every single private school in Australia. And so these figures are out of date. They will be much, much more today. Now, these overfunded private schools also have a high proportion of students from more advantaged families. The ICSEA values for these poor um, private schools is 1,054 compared with, again, 1,000. So these are wealthy kids going to these places. The total overfunding in 2013 is around about 2.8. let's call it $3 billion. Now, the estimate to difference for the average total income per student for the 1,403 private schools and that of the public schools is likely to be an underestimate because the average income for public schools includes, and this is what Jean was saying before, remote areas and special schools because you don't find elite private schools in remote areas and, in fact, you don't find those poor private schools in those areas either. That's a question of the state serving the people and no one else. Certainly there is no market advantage for any private educational institution to do that. Now, this is a system. Now, the reason that Trevor Kobold is telling us about what happened two years ago is Well, because things have changed things since then, is that if you do go onto the My School website and try to get accurate information for 2014, the private education schools which have their data up there are very reluctant to um, reveal that information. If you want 2015 data, you've got no hope at all. They are very, very slow. They are very, very tardy. And some schools that I have researched on the My School website haven't put their financial data up since 2011. They don't want us to know. The Gillard government sort of made them tell us, but since the Gillard government has gone and we have another government, a lot of very wealthy private schools have just forgotten to put how much money they get from the government up on the website. They consider it, I'm sure, their right to keep that information commercial in confidence and are reluctant to do so. Well,
1: let's bring Gillard back and make sure that they get no public money of any sort unless they give us their information, including their assets. They never did give us their assets, but Gillard did at least get this kind of information up and out
2: there. In 2011, they they did provide information on income generated from assets. But um, whether that's, in fact, accurate information, and since then, of course, that kind of information, they've been very reluctant to tell us about where their money goes and where their money comes from. And some of them, of course, hide behind the veil of, well, they're a religious institution. They shouldn't have to, and certainly they're very charitable, apparently. But I won't, that's, that's an issue for another day, talking about the charitable status of wealthy private schools, Wealthy private schools involved themselves in charity for which section of society? I think we can say perhaps a section of society that doesn't really need it. Well, Mr Abbott wanted to get rid of
1: the Charities Commission, even though, of course, it was dominated by the Catholic sector anyway. Well, First yes, time. that's
2: another one of those things when you look at Australia from the outside, the way we deal with um, taxation charities. exemptions and charities. When you look at it from the outside, you go, what are you crazy Australians doing? Yeah. Again, in the same way as that many people look at America and their gun loss, it's like, whoa, Why what? I, I don't even understand. Anyway, let's have some more happy birthdays for 3CR. Of course, 3CR has, is indeed this year having a very, very happy 40th birthday. Yes, Ludwig van Beethoven also wishes 3C a very happy 40th birthday. Another little uh, musical interlude thereby uh, from the uh, keyboard stylings of Alan Knott.
1: Yes, well, thank you very much, uh, Robert and Dale, for all of those facts and figures. I've got, I'm sorry, listeners, I've got a few more facts and figures, but it relates back to our TAFE uh, matter, which I referred to earlier in the program. Let's go up to New South Wales and see how they're reacting to what has happened to the privatisation of their TAFE by the uh, Baird government. There's been a mess, the same as we've had in Victoria, there is a mess. The federal government are putting their jack boots on and saying there is such a mess in TAFE that they're going to federalise it. But um, I'm not so sure that that's the answer either. Privatisation does not work. It never has worked and it never will work. If you want to educate your children in the nation and even if you want to give them trades, uh, it's not working in New South Wales. So what is Mr Baird going to do about it? He has spent up to two million recruiting executives to oversee TAFE as it prepares to cut up to half the vocational education providers' guaranteed funding. The restructure is going to see eight new executive leadership team positions created to take charge of the state's vocational education and training sector, taking home salary packages of up to $243,000 each, according to pay guidelines published by the New South Wales Public Service Commission. So the hiring spree has come as the guaranteed TAFE New South Wales budget looks set to be slashed in half, according to a document that's been seen by the Fairfax media, and this is based on estimates prepared by the New South Wales Department of Industry and Skills. And under the state government's smart and skilled reforms, the public provider has been forced to compete for funding with up to 400 private colleges. Over the past year in New South Wales, TAFE student fees have surged up to 22 per cent while student enrolment figures have plummeted to 43,000. More than 2,000 TAFE teachers have lost their jobs since 2011, leading students and staff to describe once teaming institutions as ghost town campuses. And as we know, this, uh, this kind of thing has already happened here in Victoria under the Napthine government and now continuing under the Andrews government. The New South Wales Cabinet documents that were leaked in September also revealed that the state government plans to sell 27 TAFE sites, including the Epping, Dapto and Chalora campuses. So uh, up in New South Wales, they're repeating what has already happened down in uh, Victoria. Uh, advertising of the department's new executive positions up there, which include directors of policy and national reform, deform. Let's call it for what it is: it's a deform, markets and governance. Oh goodness, the words! Come after a damning New South Wales Auditor General's report found serious system limitations were exacerbated by the smart and skilled reforms, otherwise known as the D-forms, namely the privatisation of TAFE in New South Wales. But a spokesperson for the Department of Industry and Skills said that it was looking to ensure it had the best people with the right skills to drive reform in this critical area. The restructure, she said, ensures the skills policy area fits within the Department of Industry and complies with the new Government Sector Employment Act, including the implementation of new senior executive structures, which all New South Wales government agencies must comply with. So uh, up in New South Wales, they're not very happy. So let's have a look at some of the commentators. One person said, Australia's sold down the drain want a tradesperson to do something in Sydney? Forget it and uh, somebody answered that and said unfortunately Milo you will get one and quite easily it's just that the license builder who turns up to do your job will likely have got his qualification from one of the myriad of private training providers. Unlike TAFE they advertise heavily to process their clients through a course that will only last about 6 weeks instead of 2 to 4 years they do this by the use of very flexible and highly inappropriate application of RPL which means recognition of prior learning. So when the clients of these private institutes turn up with a photo of themselves holding a hammer and a letter from their supposed builder employer mate saying they've done all of this and that, the private institute will happily tick off 90% of the course content as completely complete. I'm sorry, as competently complete give them a pathetic assignment they or someone else can do online for the one or two subjects they need and then hand them their certificate or diploma after they pay a few grand. Mm. So they can then trot off to New South Wales Fair Trading and get their licence. That's how utterly careless Teflon Mike Beard and his merry bunch of hapless ministers have been. His own statutory officers are handing out practitioner licences to highly incompetent but qualified individuals who inevitably will rain a path of misery down on unsuspecting home building consumers. How pathetically stupid we are. Well, that's what Robert's just been saying, how pathetically stupid other countries regard Australia and what we are doing to a once proud, extraordinarily competent public education type system. Well, um, another uh, 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 commenter, because I love these comments, I think they tell you a great deal. Social media has been very busy over Christmas. Uh, People who read the um, internet have got more time in the holiday period to to spend telling you what they're thinking. Another uh, comment says, quite why the state government is utterly committed to destroying the TAFE system is difficult to understand unless... It is simply a backdoor method of muzzling the VET component of the education unions. The deplorable record of some private uh, training providers should not be taken as indicative of all non-government organisations, but the evidence is plain that fraud and deception is being perpetuated by some providers against both students and the government-funded fee help programs. One thing is certain, and that is the poor completion rates for courses and the substantial quality, substandard quality of training being exposed as some organisations are audited will leave potential employers with questions about the competency of their apprentices and trainees.' Mr Baird, by presiding over a dismantling of a proven provider of further education, is just providing a conduit for a decline in standard of training and, more importantly, vastly increased cost for students entering a VET career pathway. And no amount of overpriced executive positions added to TAFE management is going to paper over the cracks in an organisation which is increasingly being defunded, deprived of resources, and denuded of competent teaching staff. Quite how these, in, bra- in inverted commas, reforms, well, dogs call them deforms, are supposed to provide an agile and resilient workforce for the Prime Minister is more than a little difficult to understand. Perhaps it's a pointer to the ultimate aim of both the federal and the straight state coalition governments in the provision of all tiers of education. For a government which espouses the importance of competition, it is more than a little ironic that patently substandard and in some cases openly inadequate training providers flourish in a system where the leading provider of the service Has been deliberately undermined. And another commentator says, really well said. Exactly what we don't need is more highly paid executives to feather their own nests. But that's enough for today from the dogs. We'll go out with another uh, happy birthday and then Joe Hill. And we hope, we hope that the people who follow us. We'll at least let Joe Hill have a little bit of a say. Bye bye for now.
2: Indeed. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, It's been myself, Rob, Jean, and Dale, been sharing the uh, news and reviews and various opinions about what's going on in the education sphere on 3CR. It's about the only place you get some form of information about this, collated in anything like um, a coherent form. national and, uh, shall I say, media landscape isn't particularly interested in this very important issue, but we do, we are, and we will be. Um, We'll be going out with uh, Happy Birthday 3CR by Mr Schubert, Mr Franz Schubert, um, who was famous, of course, for many things, one one of which, of course, is not finishing what he started. But until next week, it's bye for now. Oh, one more thing, of course, before we go, is that you can contact us and find out more, certainly about Gene's press releases and the various publications and ideas and reviews about the dogs on our website, which is at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until then, it's Franz Schubert, Joe Hill, and then the next week until we're back.
3: Framed you on a murder charge, says Joe. But I did, says Joe. But I did. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die Says Joe, I didn't die And standing there as big as life And smiling with his eyes Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize went on to organize from san diego up to maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find your hill it's there you'll find I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. I.